0: I think that's what it's all about, that strong family foundation and value system that against all odds that you have within most of our Indians, that fighting spirit, not in a wrong way, but fighting within inside you to become stronger and stronger and face all the challenges.
1: Welcome to the Indianist podcast, a show about leaders of Indian origin who have overcome challenges and worked with dedication to ultimately achieve success. By telling the stories of the defining milestones in their journeys, we hope to inspire others
0: to learn how they, too, can succeed in their pursuits. Here's your host,
1: Sanjay Puri. This is the Indianness podcast, stories of success from leaders and changemakers of Indian origin. Why have Indians achieved success across so many different disciplines around the globe? I have no idea, but let's find out together, because every story is unique. I'm very, very excited to have Chintu Patel with us today. He's the co-CEO and co-founder of Amnil Pharmaceuticals. He, along with his brother, has built this into a 2 billion plus pharmaceutical companies that employs over 7,000 people. I invited him on the show because you don't see too many publicly traded companies which are, in a way, family-built you know, he built this with his brother. In India, you have family-based businesses, but in the US, you generally don't see that. So I was very curious about that. The other thing is, and which we'll find out, Chintu's first job was at a candy store. As somebody who loves jelly beans a lot, okay. I said, I need to have this man on the show. So, well, jokes aside, welcome to the show, Jintubai. It's such a pleasure to have you. Thank you, Sanjay Bai. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure and honor to be on this podcast. Wonderful, can you take us back to the journey where you were born? The family, just walk us. What was the environment? And just give us some idea on that. So I was born in um, Ahmedabad,
0: Gujarat, fifty-two years back in nineteen seventy-one. I have uh, one brother and one sister. Grew up in joint family, a wonderful, you know, extended joint family, and a great memory of having that bond and love and care, just not by our parents, but you know, so many uncles, aunts, and grandparents. So. I think it was really fun. And age of 15, we migrated to the United States of America.
1: Oh, that's wonderful. When you were growing up, were you inclined towards the sciences or business? What was the conversation on the dinner table? Give our viewers a little perspective. So my father is a pharmacist also. Usually
0: there is an the inclination that you sometimes or many times your father is your inspiration or hero and you like to follow his or your mom's footsteps. Somehow, I wanted to be in that area or field. So by profession, I'm a pharmacist. I went to Pre College of Pharmacy. graduated back in 1994. So followed my father's footsteps. Also you know always thought that we had a financial responsibility when you come to America. So I also, also was looking for a profession where there are plenty of jobs and you get a good pay, starting pay job. I'm talking back in '94. Now the things are different. There are many, many choices. So I think both kind of played together that my father was a pharmacist. I saw him being a successful business person in India. I liked science and the pharmacy part of the job and that's how and then my parents were very flexible. They never told me that, okay, you have to be in science or in commerce or whatever, but it just my own liking and saw that and wanted a career where I can honestly get a job the day I graduate and make good money.
1: So you did not have the two profession rule that most Indian Americans or Indians have doctor or engineer. So that's good to know. (laughs) (laughs) But Shintwai, was your father having a business or was he a pharmacist working for someone? So
0: in India, my father had a business of a small generic distribution business and also manufacturing of gauze and bandage it was a mid-sized business, family, you know, my dad and my uncle and all of them together. So I saw pharma business a little bit, the gleams of it. They were not in a manufacturing or development or R&D. It was a small scale business, but decent size from uh, where India was back in eighty. So my father was a drug inspector. He worked as a FD mm-hmm. inspector in India. And then in 71, he just didn't want to be part of any kind of wrongdoings or the corruptions or whatever it is when you are in government employees back then. So he quit his job and just wanted to live a very ethical life. And he started his own business and was a decent business. And then coming to America and studied and got his pharmacy degree, but never worked as a pharmacist. He was working in a generic drug manufacturer company. And then he kind of retired and then came to MNIL in
1: 2005. Wow. So... Walk us a little bit, you were in Rutgers, and from there, you came with, obviously, like a lot of immigrants with very little money. Walk us through the journey of how Amnil was formed from that point. Obviously, the important story is about the candy store, which I'm fixated on, but please tell us.
0: It's a very interesting story, and many times we tell these stories to kids, and, you know, initially they have a bad. Re- I mean, oh, yeah, but now I think as kids are growing up, they really appreciate your Stories and the learnings that happens through your difficult times that as parents that we have gone through, and it's great for the kids. So when we came, we came as a family on my father's petition as a pharmacist. So original immigration file was from 1969 before even I was born. And because of the reasons and joint family, he did not come, even though he had a visa and everything. And out of blue from nowhere, in 1987, we had a visa call final time to come and we came here as a family and my dad was the oldest of his family and he did not want to bring any money from India to here. So we forced him because he was happy that he's like, I don't want to go and start my life all over. Then he gave condition to me and my brother and my sister that if we go there, all of us has to work. We don't have money and it's a joint family. I cannot do injustice to my brothers and sister Yeah, if we need something, emergency funds we will have, but we came with almost no money and we all started working here together, including my mother who has never worked. And many of the mothers and people coming from India in the 80s, never, you know, hardly woman employment was there, right? So it was a quite different experience when we came here. We had nobody here in America from blood relationship perspective, uncle, aunts, nobody. We are the first one to come. You know, we had wonderful uncle, my dad's friend. And we stayed there and we all started working. I was age of 15. My brother was 20. My sister was 18. I'm the youngest. We lived in Jersey City in a small house, five of us. And that's how the journey started. And I came from a Gujarati medium school. So coming to America back in 87, Sanjay was very, very different. And you have lived there through also. Now kids coming today, it's different. World has become one after mm-hmm. the internet boom and all the connectivity and India growing. But if you go back, the experience of coming even landing at the airport to going home I mean. to going to school and coming from a Gujarati medium, it was quite challenging. So I came in 87 around April time frame. So there is a summer break, right? So I had to wait until December. And that time my brother had come two months before I did. So he was working in a candy store in New York City. He talked to his boss that my brother is there and he had about 10, 15 candy stores. He said, okay, summertime having come also. So I go and what a journey that was. I think I, I can still have the memories in front of me that how I went in a bus. I had no idea about the money, how to identify quarter or dime. And, you know, in India, you're a conductor here. There is nobody here to put your money in the bus and go path train from Jersey City to New York and not knowing much English at all, just few lines here and there. And then I end up in a candy store and was such a great guy. I mean, he helped me and I got a job there and I was working in two stores. So one near Walter Center and then I used to go somewhere in Lexington Avenue. There is a lipstick building, they call it in New York on 68th Street. So I used to take subway. So in early age, I got exposed to New York City and it was fascinating and the kind of struggle. And in candy store, I mean, I worked mainly with sign language because... I couldn't understand the magazine's name or name of the cigarettes. Like, how do I know what is Marlboro Light and Marlboro box I mean, it was like a Samarian language for me. So I think through that journey, learned a lot, walked a lot in New York City, observed a lot of people, made $3.30 an hour. That was the minimum wage. I think more than money, I think every job you learn. I think that's what I've realized you get inspired and motivated and develop dreams. So that time, first time I had a boss, his name I still remember, Mr. Green. One day he came to a store and he was going, he's like, okay, I'll give you a ride. You know, I'll drop you at the train station so you can take your E-train and go to the other store. And first time in life, I sat in a Mercedes car and I had the joy and, okay, God, one day I want to have a Mercedes car. And, you know, these are the small moments that, we forget about, and that still stuck in my head, and I made that wish that day, and then the rest is history passed forward now, or 20 years back. So I think this was a wonderful time, and then my brother also worked in a candy store. My sister worked in a factory my mom did. My dad worked as a quality assurance person in a small generic company. So all of us collectively worked and tried to make our life and entry into America.
1: You know, working in a candy store when you can't communicate and trying to sell people on different kinds of great sugar products, what were the things that kind of they taught you? I mean, we were working in New York City, which is everybody from around the world is there. Were there some lessons that you think that were helpful that even are helpful to you now? Because 15 years, you were very impressionable at that time.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, I learned at first, it helped me. With my communication a little bit, because slowly within one month, you are a young kid, you catch up fast. So I think the number one thing was that I observed, because it's totally different culture. When you come from India back in 87 Mm -hmm. to America, now I think there's not much difference if you come from Mumbai or city. But back then, so I think I was able to observe a lot of people uh, in how they talk, how they greet people what kind of clothes people wear. You know, I think the observation was key to develop my own thinking and personality. Second was the communication. And third, just getting exposure to America by walking in New York City, watching, getting on a subway and the bus and meeting and seeing different personalities. I was really fascinated, but also I was observing and learning. So subconsciously that gets registered and it helps you grow and maybe that candy store experience helped me become a good pharmacist where I was liked by, you know, the community because this pharmacy is a part of community. You interact with so many people. So I think that retail experience of meeting new people, greeting them, kind of understanding their liking. And next time if somebody walks in and you say, hey, here is your MM, and m that goes a long way. And that creates relationships and life is all about relationships. So I think That candy store experience was very humbling. It was very, for me, it was a learning experience in all fronts. And it was my gateway to kind of open America's door to understand. Because if you don't understand the culture,
1: I don't think you can be successful in the future. That's a very good point. If you don't understand culture, because we are such a melting pot in this country, and you are in the melting pot of all melting pots, which is New York City. So that was great. Were there any insecurities? Because, as you said, you know, you came from a reasonably uh, comfortable home in India in Ahmedabad, and you came here, and everybody had to work because your dad did not want to take money. Were there elements of insecurity that you had? Oh, absolutely, lots of insecurities. Language was biggest.
0: I mean, you feel sometimes you know afraid of speaking, or you feel that you're not as good as the others. You don't have the money. Living in Jersey City was not easy back in 87, 89. There were incidences of bad incidences where there was a lot of discrimination and racism that was going on. There was a Godbuster situation yeah. happening. So I think all those things did bring insecurities. But when you come from India, you also come from very strong culture and family that helped us overcome all those things, that you have a good work ethics, you have a good education discipline, the family is with you, there are other things. So that insecurity got overpowered by sense of belongingness to this family, that, okay, there is somebody that will help you. Or you can always go back. or there are other things that you know this is short term, it will overcome. So I think there was a lot of challenges between 87 to 90 for first three years for us as a family. And many, many Indian families that migrated during that time, especially in that area of Jersey City, Hoboken. Because when you are a new influx of immigrants, the cultural differences. So those kind of things happen. But I think your strong roots to India and learning and growing up, and you call it Indianness, I think that's what it's all about, that strong family foundation and value system that against all odds that you have within most of our Indians, that fighting spirit, not in a wrong way, but fighting within
1: inside you to become stronger and stronger and face all the challenges. So it's the resilience, the overcoming because of family, spirituality, and the confidence, because I think that's what you had. So Chidhubay, take us from the candy store to fast forward Rutgers and obviously how Amnil came to be born. Just walk us there, if you don't mind.
0: You know that I did work in candy store every summer for two years. Then after graduating high school, college Rutgers of Pharmacy, it's a five years program. And then, you know, during that time, we moved out of Jersey City to other parts of the New Jersey, Morristown, Persephone area. So I completed, I graduated. As pharmacist and worked in a uh, drug stores for about eight years as a pharmacy manager, pharmacist and then pharmacy manager. I mean, that was a great time. I Interacted with lots of people because being a pharmacist, you are talking and you are part of community. So it was a great exposure of interacting with patients, bringing smile to some people's faces, and they relied on you. And we were the trusted partners. As a pharmacist, we are the most trusted profession in the country. So that was very rewarding. It was comfortable from financial perspective. Then I got married in 96 to a wonderful, lovely lady, Palguni. She came into my life and we were living all together with parents. My brother and sisters had moved out to, you know, different states. After that, I was still working, but then we had a daughter, Kanan. And being a pharmacist, you are in a retail And I was getting a little uncomfortable because uh, you don't have flexibility. That's a disadvantage of working in a retail. So I had to work every other weekend, Saturday, Sunday, full crazy hours and no flexibility of vacation or anything or any time off. So I was feeling a little bit like my personal life was getting affected. Plus, you know, eight years I was doing the same thing behind the pharmacy drugstores had no clue whatsoever how the other world outside was the functioning or no clue. I was, just had that urge that I wanted to do some business. And I'm not, you know, IT is my weakness. I mean, it's your strength. It's my weakness. I didn't know anything. But everybody was doing. So I said, okay, I let me do something in IT where we can do this consulting and place people. Everybody was doing that. So I thought I'd give it a little small try that, but just couldn't do it tried for a few other things, but my heart was not in there. Then in 2001, I told my dad that one thing I really want to try is the pharmaceutical business. And my dad had a lot of experience because he was working in industry for a generic company. He said, look, he was very positive. He didn't discourage me. He said, remember, it takes a lot of money and you have no experience whatsoever. So Sanjay Bhai, when you study pharmacy here, it's more on a retail side or the hospital Mm. side, about the front end. If you want to learn about the industry, you have to do a master's in industrial pharmacy or something like that. So I had no exposure about industry or regulatory or R&D or manufacturing. So when I spoke to my dad, he's like, you don't know any of these things. And you sure? I said, yeah, yeah, I will learn, but I don't want to start a pharmacy store. Otherwise, I would rather just work as a pharmacist. But... That was my condition that I don't want retail anymore because I was tired of retail, right? You need to be frustrated in life. That's where then I spoke with my wife. She was a computer professional because you need that financial security, right? Because so we are living together. My father was working. My wife was a professional. She was doing a decent job. I spoke to my parents, mom, dad, and my wife. And I said, look, I'm tired. I want to do something. I don't know how successful I will be, but you know me, I'll take a small step at a time, but I'm, I dream big and I want to build a big company. Spoke to my brother. He was in Atlanta. He's very positive and supportive. So he's like, go, go, do it, do it. But then we come to money and we had no money. So that's how between 2001 to 2002, I was contemplating. And then I decided that's the only thing I want to do is something in manufacturing in pharma. Then. 2002, August, gave birth to Amnil. And we had a very humble beginning in Patterson, New Jersey with a 10,000 square feet small facility. I had two pharmacist friends, but they had no industry background either. But I told them and that time I had no idea about business, like what is a C-Corp or S Corporation or LLC or how to get a building permit or CEO, none of those experience or or business or I did not know people in industry. So for me, everything was new. Like I'm a guy who does not know how to do the product development, know the manufacturing, quality, no finance, every odds. Like if you put an odd, somebody had to bet on me, would not even bet 1% that this guy can make it. And that's why I say there was some divine power and some external forces that were aligning to make me successful and the whole family. And that's how MNIL was started. Very humble beginning with only $200,000. I only had $75,000 and, you know, one of my partner and my another friend put $40,000. So that's how we came up with $200,000. And if you talk to somebody in pharma, they would say it's impossible to start a business. $200,000 only. So that was the journey we started. Started with Humble Beginning, doing some, you know, one or two over-the-counter products or vitamins. And and the rest is history. then. Then we grew up. Very, very fast, 2005, my brother joined. Today, we went from a 10,000 square feet initial footprint in Patterson, New Jersey, to today we have over 3 million square feet of manufacturing. Wow. And just making vitamins to now, we make over 340 prescription drugs. And every drug delivery platform, manufacturing, and R&D capabilities we have in-house. So we just don't make tablet capsules. We make all the injectable products, we make the creams, ointments, liquids, nasal spray, all the inhalation products, the transdermal patch, many other complex drug device combinations. So our plants are in New York, New Jersey. In India, we have about six, seven locations, including we make our own API for many products. We have beautiful inhalation plant in Ireland and centralized distribution in Kentucky. So that's a kind of journey, but along the way, you know. And all this was possible because of wonderful people. I'm blessed to have a great, great employees and many of them are still with us. And it was their hard work and commitment and they were able to support the dreams that I and my brother were seeing and they believed in us. And without the people, nothing happened. So I would say all credit to great family, parents and my lovely wife, the great employees and their hard work and divine blessings. I think I was lucky to be there, and things were happening for whatever reasons I don't know. But I don't think I was that smart to make a two hundred thousand into a two point three billion dollar company.
1: Well, I think you are being too humble. My worry is some of our listeners are going to say I didn't know about product, I didn't know about marketing, I didn't know anything, but I just did it. So they might say, "Let's follow this formula. I don't know anything about it. I want to build this business." But you're, I think, being very very humble, Chintu Bay, you don't see too many publicly listed companies. You know, you have done it with your brother. How has that worked out? Because, you know, he's a co-CEO. Just touch briefly on that, because that's a little unique thing for our listeners.
0: So anyway, so when I start with the business, people say, no, no, you cannot do it. You'll lose all the money. Then in 2008, we bought a company called Interfarm. We were only doing revenue of $2 million And we bought a company that was doing revenue of $80 million. From 15, 20 employees to, we acquired a company with 300 employees. And that time also, they told me and my brother, it is a wrong decision. Then when we expanded to India and other things, they're saying, oh, this cannot happen. 2018, we bought a company called Impacts, That was a publicly traded company. And we acquired them and we did reverse merger and we became a public company. That time, intentionally, we took exit because we have other pharma companies outside of these, other three pharma companies, Kashir Biosciences, Prolong, and Asana. Plus, we wanted to take it easy a little bit, you know, and focus on new drug research and biologics. So that was the goal. But due to whatever the reasons, it didn't work out. We had a professional team, but with the challenges of generic industry, we had to step back in 2019. Mm. And when we came in, i mean we had no public company experience but i think when you do things with honesty integrity and your intent is just to make the company who, whichever you are working for bigger and better and create value for shareholders and employees i think nothing is impossible we've been see co ceos for like 4 years we have no sec issues or anything we have regular earnings calls i think you don't have to have those experiences i mean nobody taught us we just it was natural for me and my brother both. So far, so good. A private being a private had its own advantage and a lot of fun being public. also, It has its own challenges and a lot of great areas and new things to learn. But I think we have adapted well in both environment and we are fully compliant. And even though we are a control company, we have a lot, great board, great governance. So it was not challenging for whatever the reason. So I think I don't know how to put it that I am not sounding that everything is easy, but somehow that transition was not challenging going from private to public.
1: So that's great. You and your brother have different roles, I would presume, in the company. You probably divide and conquer in some ways, right?
0: Yeah. So we both are co CEOs. We are totally involved on all the major items. And from a day to day, yes, I'm more on a... Uh, product strategy, R&D, and operations quality and procurement. My brother is more on to sales and marketing and finance and business development. So we have a complementary expertise. We both can do whatever each other is doing. So that's good too. So we have a good succession planning for both of you. God forbid, I hope nothing happens. So Um, I think we've been doing this together since 2005. So it's been wonderful. 17 years of working together. And you know, to be honest, many people, I mean, there are people who wants to write a book about this chemistry.
1: That is very true. Maybe that'll be another episode because that's very unusual. Chintubay, most of the guests that we talk to in their journey who have been successful in many different fields, they talk about the role of mentors. Now you are self-grown, you know, you did everything on your own. Were there any mentors that helped you in this journey?
0: Anyway, to be honest, I had no mentor. My mentor was the challenges and the difficulties, and it was learned by your own self. I mean, whatever. The one mentor, of course, my father, he was always there and very supportive. So besides that, I never had a coach, never had somebody uh, that I reported into or taught me the different nuances of pharma sector. So I would say, except
1: my father, I, I never had any mentor. Well, You mentored yourself. I think that's the best way to look at it. Chintupe, you have a large presence in India. Everybody talks about the talent pool in India, and we want a little bit about that. But how come with such a vast generic industry in India, you don't see too many, and maybe I don't know enough, too many blockbuster drugs come out where it has originated in India. It's mainly generics. You don't see... Ozempic or anything that has come out of there—is there a reason? And I'm using Ozempic because right now that's the drug of conversation. So, so India historically—I mean,
0: we are a pharmacy of the world. We call mm-hmm. it right. About fifty percent of all prescription drugs in America are manufactured in India, even right now. So all even the generics majority is coming from India, and also all the raw materials. India we have challenges from a risk appetite perspective we don't take that much of a risk the new drug discovery is very very expensive and success it's one or two out of 10 and it requires a lot of capital infusion and long term view india is not ready for that and maybe in future it will be but Every time I've said India, we are more of a manufacturing and service mindset. So I think first it has to we have to change our mindset and we have to become a more innovative country. Innovation leads to success and future leadership in the world. So I think the government and private sector both and there has to be a good capital structure to support all this. Right. In America is the best from capitalist society perspective Mm -hmm. where you can raise funds or there is a way of committing dollars into R&D average it, it can cost about four to five hundred million to a billion dollar to come out with one drug it may even cost more so none of the indian pharma companies are positioned from their pnr or balance sheet perspective to take this kind of bets that's one. Second is the vision itself i would say we have to besides pharma in all other it sector everywhere mm-hmm. we have the talent we have the know-how we know how to get things done that risk appetite and we have to own our own IP. So that transition from just the service manufacturing mindset to become an innovative country is key for the future leadership. If India wants to be in top two economy of the world or top three, we have to innovate, innovate, innovate. And it has to be some kind of government grant, some subsidy, some kind of funds or money that has to flow into some kind of pharma research. So far, we have not destroyed any drug. Now, all the work is being happening. You know, there are a bunch of clinical studies or R&D work. So the talent is there. We need to add more talent on a certain area. But I think that risk appetite and capital is required. And we are committed. We are doing it at a small scale. We have a company outside of Hemnil where Kashi and Shivanka, where we are dabbling into NCE. We had another company called Asana, where we invested a lot of our own money to come out with new chemical entities. But I totally agree with you. India, we need to create an environment and provide some kind of tools for
1: people to take this risk in new pharma research. So basically what you said is not enough innovation, not enough risk taking and lack of capital, which is holding India back. Those are good points and they apply basically to IT also because India is the IT hub of the world. But there is no chat GPT or something that has come out from India.
0: We don't have Google or Microsoft out of India. You know, cheap come Intel, and that's where we need to really have a serious discussion among Indians in India. That's how we
1: get to the next level of innovation in all areas. Well, that's true. That is so true. Should we just a uh, short maybe answer on this? Even though I think the generics have dropped in price quite a bit, why do medicines cost five to ten times more? I mean, most people want to know. Like they go to India or some other places. One answer is that U.S. pays for the innovation here for, you know, it takes 500 million, as you said, close to a billion. And that needs to get amortized over a period of time. So that's why. Is that the only reason why medicines cost so much in this country? I mean, that's the one reason, main reason that you just outlined
0: is the cost of R&D. We are subsidizing world's R&D. We are the world leader and we are the best country in the world, America. So we are doing the heavy lifting for the whole world second in India, the generic drugs are cheaper. Now in U.S. also, the generic drugs are cheaper, like generic industry has saved over a trillion dollars in the last 10 years. So when I look at commodity, means the basic drugs, like for blood pressure or diabetes, they are very, very cheap in America. And they are cheap in India. Sometimes there is a price parity between India and U.S. on generic drugs, they are same, or Europe, Canada. The problem is our system in America also. We have a lot of middle people, EBMs and other things. We don't have a pricing transparency, but from a manufacturer perspective, generics are highly competitive in the world pricing. 90% of all drugs in America are generics. The 10%, 10% is the brand. The 90% cost less than 20, 30 billion dollars a year in the entire drug spending. The more spending, there's over $350, dollars million spending for the 10% of the drugs. There are many rare diseases where the patient population is very low. Oncology products are very expensive. So I think on a normal person, they should not have that much. But yes, there are rare diseases and other complicated diseases where the pricing differences are humongous. And everybody's talking about it. Congress wants to know, why can't we get it from Canada? It's even cheaper. We are the world leaders. We need to do something. We are
1: sacrificing for the world. That's true. That is true. Switching subjects a little bit, because maybe I know about this, is you have dabbled in the movie business also a little bit. Can you just tell our listeners, pharma to movies, what is the connection? Just give our listeners a little perspective. So I'm a dreamer.
0: I always like to dream and other things. So mm-hmm.
1: the movie business was
0: actually because of my foundation. I have a foundation called Irada Foundation. And our goal is to create lots of awareness about healthy lifestyle regarding health and prevention better than cure. In mm-hmm. India, you know, our average lifespan is whatever 68, 70. In America, we are 80. Europe is 80. So I always wanted. Have our community, our Indian brothers and sisters living in India, have just basic necessity of healthcare be provided? And for that, I had this thing that if I have the media or if I have the entertainment, because entertainment, entertainment, entertainment in India is 1.4 billion people. How do you reach? I, I was looking for a platform that we can have a more impact if there is a message on a breast cancer or diabetes or a cardiovascular disease. If we have some Bollywood celebrity and other people and also make certain message driven movies, but very entertaining movies that can create an impact in the society. So for me, you know, movie making is a money losing business. So it's not for a business perspective. It's more for awareness, message driven movies. And through that entertainment media, if we can make an impact in the society and utilize that vehicle for some future movement, whatever it is. And that's why we made the first movie in 2017 called Irada, and it won the national award. It was on eco-terrorism. I mean, we talk about all the terrorism, but eco-terrorism is as bad as the other. You know, how we have killed our environment and our waters and pollution. So we made this movie about reverse boring, where people are taking chemicals and putting underground. And underground, there's so much water. And there are towns and all that where there are, Cancer patients in every household. So, what is more important than a human life? And that's the entire notion that nothing comes beyond human life. There is no business, there is no profit. We need to respect the environment. We need to respect the human life and value. For a small profit, people take steps and do things that has an effect on the generations to come. So, that was the Irada movie about the chemical contamination. We made a movie on a family values. So, our movies are more message driven it's not full time my wife is handling that but it was again great learning experience it's a a whole new world (laughs) and if you want to have fun you can
1: do those it's very creative and also a social impact purpose so really that uh, very very admirable really to there is an indian part to you and there's an american part to you You know your professional life etc. how do you balance that is that difficult sometimes America is
0: a great country. I think it's the country where if you have a dream and if you work hard and passionately, I think you'll make it. I mean, America provides that kind of environment from all angles. So my famous saying is always that America is our Yashoda Mahia and India is our Devki Mahia. And India is also very close to our heart. It's our roots. That's where I was born. But U.S. gave the platform and the opportunity and you can live a truly American dream. And balancing and, and learning and keep the best of both worlds. My family values and my culture and care and love, like Vasudeva like, Kutumbagam, whole world we think as a family. Those are the values, I think. And it also comes in your professional career, right? So even though we are a public company, we are treating Amnil as a family. So most of the employees don't see the impact as we are a corporate company. Still, there are family bond and values and people are socially so connected. And still, we are keeping that professionalism that is required to get the work done, to speak professionally, act professionally, to hold people accountable, have proper financial models and accountability. I think having best of the both worlds, I think, gives you that leadership role among all the companies. So that's, I think, having both is not a struggle,
1: but it's a blessing. That's wonderful. Wonderful. You've achieved so much you know, in pharma, in the entertainment world, etc. And you're still so very young. Where do you see your journey going from here? Absolutely, I'm not done. But
0: I think business-wise, still a lot to do in generics, in specialty, in biologics, in new drug discovery. But outside of that, we'll continue to explore and also inspire many new entrepreneurs. So who want to help from the investment route to start many new businesses that will have a positive impact in the world. Ultimately, every business has to be a purpose-driven business. So I want to invest into areas that to make human life and this world a great place for everyone, whether it's in a technology, whether it's in the pharma sector, whether it's in green energy, whatever it is. But that may be part-time, the full-time focus in future. I'm going to dedicate myself towards my foundation and spending a lot of time on Irada Foundation, other foundation, and maybe there is a chance that if all goes well, there is a life in politics too, because I think you have to get your hands dirty sometimes or get into the game. I am not a person who likes to stand outside and make comments that things are not working. That's easy to do. So maybe let's see where the life takes, but foundations and the politics are those two things that maybe I may venture to
1: This is the first time I'm speaking publicly on that. Well, <laughs> uh, Maybe next session would be with Senator Patel or congressman or governor. Who knows? But <laughs> jokes aside, we need people like you in politics. Everybody says, oh, no, it's not my job. It's somebody else's. No, I think it's everybody's job. And it can be engagement at every level because people say, oh, the system's broken. Well, who's going to fix it? Nobody's coming from outside to fix it. We have to fix it. I'm so glad that you said that. Really, really so glad. We have a lightning round of questions, just one or two sentences. Some of them you kind of have answered, but again, what is your definition of Indianness? Belongingness, family values, culture, sharing,
0: caring, and treating everyone as family. I still haven't lost that touch. If somebody
1: comes without appointment at my home or office, I don't feel bad. Fantastic. And I know that for a fact. So that's fantastic. You cannot name somebody in your family, but who is the one person living in India or of Indian origin that inspires you? Satya Microsoft CEO. CEO. And Prime Minister Modi out of India. Okay, that's a great answer. Final question. What advice would you give to your younger self? Look back when you were maybe 25 coming out of Rutgers or maybe even before that, you were having a conversation with Jintu Patel.
0: Well, that's a tough one because I wouldn't want to change anything what I have done. Of course, I could have done it better. There's always learning. The advice, I would say that don't change yourself, keep believing in yourself, keep seeing those dreams, Aim high, you might fall a little short, but you won't fall on the ground and have trust and faith in that divine power that is always with you when your heart is pure and you are doing a purposeful work. So, I would tell the younger one, Chintu, to it's the holistic development of a human being and yourself. The financial success is one part, but overall, spend time in spirituality, taking care of yourself, more exercise and eat healthy. Those things I didn't know back then <laughs> and spend time. It's a parallel, you know, at least start having thoughts of giving back to society. When you are young, you know a little bit. But now I think in my this age, I would say all those learning should start only. People don't have to wait at all. I'll do it when I'm 40 or 50. So the biggest advice is do your self-development from early age. And there are many things beyond financial success and the life. And you were here before, you are here now, and you are coming
1: back. So work on your inner soul and inner self-development from early age. Very inspirational. Work on your inner self and inner soul. I wish I had given myself that advice. But thank you okay. so much, Chintu Patel from Amnil. To be on this podcast. Really, really enjoyed it. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you, Sanjay. Wonderful as always. But well, thank and you. All the viewers and listeners, uh, great luck and, and lots of success and love. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Indianist
0: podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five star review and subscribe to enjoy future inspirational stories.